Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disability Inc. I'm Mary Beth Berggren, family educator at Include NYC. I'm a native Staten Islander with over 10 years experience in higher education and an avid member of the special needs community here on Staten Island. I have two children with autism spectrum disorder classifications, and my firstborn diagnosed at 18 months old was my first experience with autism. I know firsthand the struggles of navigating this world, but could not imagine life without the supports and services that are available to my children, myself, and my family. Include NYC has been a lifeline for families like mine. It gives me great pleasure today to welcome our guest, Donna Long, the woman who built the advocacy movement for children with autism on Staten Island since the early 80s. When I first got a diagnosis of ASD for my daughter, Kate, almost seven years ago, I was told by my mom, call Donna, she can help you. And I did just that. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Mary Beth, and thank you for uh, your kind words. We appreciate you being here so much. Uh, before we begin, I'm sure you'll all enjoy learning more about Donna. She is a dynamic Staten Island community leader who has been advocating for the needs and services of individuals with intellectual disabilities um, and autism since the early 80s. And her first impact is still felt fiercely today by families like mine. She began her journey of advocacy when her daughter Janine was diagnosed 40 years ago with, at the time, PDD, which was Pervasive Developmental Disorder, now known as Autism Spectrum Disorder. There were no options for her daughter and others like her at the time. Donna took action and through tireless advocacy, created a movement of service on Staten Island that speaks volumes. Donna's dream was to become a New York City police officer, but life circumstances took her in a different direction. She recently retired as executive director of the Grace Foundation, a nonprofit organization established to improve the lives of individuals and families impacted by autism spectrum disorder. And presently, she serves as director of external affairs for Crossroads Unlimited Inc., an agency that provides comprehensive services for individuals with intellectual developmental disability. Donna, you have been a longtime advocate for Staten Island individuals and their families living with autism. Staten Island Borough President James Otto even referenced you as one of the true unsung heroes in this community, directly and personally helping the lives of so many Staten Islanders. How did this journey begin for you? Oh, well, it's been a long journey and, and, and just let me thank you for the introduction, Mary Beth. And uh, as you mentioned, the journey began for me over 40 years ago. Janine is now uh, 43 years old. And um, I guess I started when Janine was two. And uh, I, you know, I noticed Janine was not hitting certain milestones and, and I had friends who had children the same age as Janine and they were speaking and they were um, communicating and, and Janine was not. And when I spoke to my pediatrician at the time, he told me not to worry about that and, and wait until she's four years old and still not speaking and then we will discuss it. Reason being back then, 
autism wasn't known the way it is today. Um, I didn't wait until she was four. I, I started uh, reaching out to uh, different doctors and, and, and taking Janine on, on many, unfortunately, many kinds of visits and getting so many different diagnoses. And one was that um, uh, Janine was not hearing at 100%. So uh, they wanted to put uh, tubes in her ears, mm. which at the time was a, a big thing to do. Um, that didn't sit very well. And uh, I realized that Janine, in addition to not speaking, was exhibiting other behaviors also. Uh, she wasn't giving eye contact. Um, she would have uh, screaming fits. Um, we really couldn't go anywhere with Janine. And people who know Janine now, it, it's hard for them to believe that um, she had those kind of behaviors as she was uh, when she was younger. Um, I thought it might be a good idea at the time to put Janine in a in an inclusive environment, and maybe that would help with her uh, picking up on cues from other children her age, and maybe she would pick up some language and 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 some positive behaviors at the time. So I put her in. Uh, there was a program at the YMCA called Toddling Around. And um, so I, I put Janine in there. Um, and I also reached out to uh, Staten Island University Hospital at the time uh, to inquire about early intervention for Janine. And um, I did get that. And, and the, the therapist came to our home three times a week to give Janine speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Uh, Janine had hypotonia um, as well, uh, which was low muscle tone. And I have to say how instrumental early intervention was uh, for Janine. Um, and, and the way it helped Janine, I know from speaking to many colleagues, many parents and advocates that uh, it is a lifeline, and, and it has helped countless children, and they benefit tremendously from early intervention. Um, at the Toddling Around program, the teacher one day uh, called me aside, and, and she said, uh, you know, Janine is really not interacting with the other children at all. She just kind of goes in a corner and just sits there or occasionally would do parallel play, but not interacting. And I realized that um, all the other children, when their moms came into the room to pick them up, the children would run to their moms and, you know, and they would go on their merry way. And I'd have to go into the room and, and pick Janine up and take her out and, and, um, uh, um, you know, bring her in the car. And, you know, after doing that so many times, it became more and more difficult. And I, I, um, with it, with the, uh, the YMCA teacher's advice and her name was Pat Marcello. And interestingly, she did not have a background in special education, but she was just very intuitive. And, um, uh, I, I thank her to this day for really 
putting me in a position of, of really moving forward with getting Janine some uh, 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 an evaluation. And where I got that evaluation was at the uh, Staten Island Mental Health Society. I reached out to them to have Janine evaluated. And uh, she was diagnosed with PDD, NOS, and as you mentioned prior, it's pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, which is autism spe uh, spectrum disorder. And she was uh, also diagnosed with speech and language uh, delay. And it was recommended that we put Janine in a program that the Staten Island Mental Health Society had at the time, and it was called Project 8. And it was a special ed program for uh, preschoolers. And so we did, we put Janine in this program and she was the only girl. And she was the only girl for quite a number of years in the school programs that she was in. Um, but at the time of, of Janine being in that program, so if she was about three years old at the time, was early, early 80s. Um, the rate of autism then was one in uh, 10,000. And, you know, now, as we know, it's one in 54. So it, there's quite a significant difference at the time. And, and it became a very difficult journey at that time because there really were very little programs and, and people were not really, um, they didn't know much about autism at the time. Uh, I, I remember, well, that this was much later, but I remember being interviewed by a reporter. And after the, the interview, she pulled me aside and she asked me, how did I feel about my daughter being artistic? Not autistic, but artistic. Wow. So it was quite interesting. But you know, myself and I know many others as well in, in the initial stages and, and especially back during this time because autism was not uh, so known, um, we went through, I went through a period of mourning and that took about a year of me um, trying to process uh, uh Janine's delays and what the future would hold and what milestones would never be reached and all of these things that were quite upsetting because I have a large family who there's a lot of cousins who are Janine's age if not very close to Janine's age and being together and seeing all the things that they were doing and it just emphasized more what she was not doing. So I opted not to participate in many things because I found it, um, I found it too difficult. So after that year of mourning, I felt that this is not productive at all. And um, I'm not helping anybody, um, especially Janine by, by doing that. Um, so I approached the the CEO of Staten Island Mental Health Society about maybe starting a support group because I knew if um, that I couldn't be the only one out there feeling sad and disconnected and wondering what the future would hold. So 
so we started this very successful, um, informative support group that was very beneficial on, on so many levels. And interestingly enough, to this day, one of the, the moms in that group, and this is 40 years later, we're still very, we're very good friends. Okay. She had a son with a diagnosis of autism. And, um, you know, it, it, it really helped. It helped meeting every week and listening to people who were going through what you were going through, who uh, would not judge. And, um, you know, and it lasted for a few, it lasted for a few years. It actually lasted until Janine then aged out of that program and then had to go into um, the public school system. And once in the public school system, I also went to the principal at the time to try to get something going for um, the special needs families at the school. And that was at, that was PS 69 is where Janine went at the time. Wow. And also, and it's interesting how, um, how we learn from one another. Um, and one day I overheard a teacher mention uh, a rec program, a small rec program that uh, children with uh, autism and IDD uh, were going to. And, and again, it was a very small program. And it was, believe it or not, it was on your mark. And it, it started in a karate school on Manor Road. Um, and then it moved to St. Albans Church. And I asked the name of the person who was doing the program, and I reached out to, uh, there was this uh, gentleman, Gene Spatz and, and Dana McGowan, who, who started the program. And I reached out to them, and I scheduled a meeting with them at my home and invited the members of our support group to come and listen to see what they had to say and what they had to offer and how it would be beneficial uh, for our children and we all enrolled our children in it and to this day Janine is still in Animark programs um, and of course there's so many additional programs that at the time that was a, just a very small program and, and she still was um, not communicating much or, or uh, participating much but as time went on it became more and more where she was uh, interacting uh, more so with the other uh, children there. And so that was the beginning of the journey. Um, it's remarkable to, to hear all of this, especially when you stop and consider that autism didn't become a classification of a disability under the Individuals with Disability Education Act until 1990. Um, because you're talking about, you know, the years from 80 to 90 where the need was there so much so for her and the only way to find supports and services was to ask yourself. Um, and I love that you bring up you know, that, that time of mourning, because I, you know, as a parent of, of a child with ASD, I often think that myself, and I don't think enough parents, you know, want to address or identify that fact that 
they are feeling those feelings mm-hmm. and that it's okay. You know, it is okay. Um, it, it, it is okay. And, and, um, and it's important that you recognize that too. I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I recall years ago and I, you know, my old age makes me forget a lot of things, but I don't know how long ago it was, but um, somebody asked me, how do you feel that your daughter will never reach milestones of she'll never get married, she'll never have children, she'll never go to college, she'll never do all these things. And my response to them at the time, and surprisingly, it was my response is that, how do you know? You know, how do you know? I don't know what the future holds for Janine. Um, so you can't just assume that that would not happen. Right. And I think that's an important thing that I always wanted to focus on Janine's abilities. Once once I came to the realization that Janine had this diagnosis and she will always be in special education and she will always have needs and et cetera, was that um, to focus on her abilities and not on not her disabilities. And um, I'll tell you the, the uh, I have another daughter, Kristen, who Janine and she are 10 years apart. And I remember the teacher at the school at the time, because Janine had, was, verbal she started with words and all but sometimes not appropriate and and you know um it took her a while she had receptive and expressive language delay so it would have it would take her a while to be able to express what she wanted to uh say um and the teacher said to me after uh Kristen was born um she said that was the best thing that ever happened for Janine because Janine just keeps saying baby, baby, baby. So it, you know, it, it was just wonderful to hear. Right. And that she was starting um, to, to, to communicate, but also try to initiate communication. That's fantastic. So I know that you spoke about, uh, when the diagnosis happened and early intervention and school and the process of getting the supports or creating the supports you needed at the time and asking for the supports you needed at the time. But going from parent to advocate takes a lot of time and growth. When did you realize that you had crossed over from seeking help to giving support to others? I don't even know if I ever realized it. It just seemed to be just this natural um, transition or progression. Um, I think what happened was that Janine was my barometer and I, I would think, well, she needs to do this and she needs to have this service. And if she needs it, then others need it as well. And, you know, I, I think that's how my, um, advocacy, um, progressed in the fact that, you know, if Janine needed it, there were other children out there who needed it also. And that was a big thing. And, and also that other parents would need the, um, 
you know, especially when you first get the diagnosis and as we discussed with the morning period, helping parents get through that because that's very hard. And at that, by the, by that time, there were more services available and more recognition of autism and uh, developmental disabilities as well. And I, and I realized that in order to uh, attain some independence um, that it was for Janine and others like her, that it was important to um, ensure that people knew what options were out there and what services were out there and how their child can benefit from them. Now you've lobbied in Albany, the city council, on community boards, local legislators, on behalf of individuals with IDD and autism. What motivated you to extend your advocacy beyond the immediate needs of Janine? And like, tell us a little bit about your professional journey. Um, my professional journey started as a, um, as a job coach, believe it or not, and, and um, uh, a job recruiter, recruiter. And that was going into businesses and um, trying to find a fit for individuals with developmental disabilities to get a job in the community, those who had the ability to do so. So it was supportive employment and to um, have them have that opportunity. And um, to be honest, it, it, it was extraordinarily difficult for me. And that's where the parent part overtook the advocate part because I would go into some businesses and talk about the um, attributes of the individuals and the benefits of hiring an individual who had a developmental disability and sometimes hearing back, oh, we don't want those kind of people here or we don't need that and we can't babysit and, and just not very kind uh, words. And, you know, I would be very polite surprisingly, and, and, and go in my car and just cry because I thought, you're talking about my daughter, you know? Right. Um, and so it was, it, it was not easy. And so that was my initial start of it. And I think because at the time, the agency had reached out to me and they thought because I was a parent and because I started to involve myself in so many things with the advocacy part that it would be a good fit. And I did it for a while. And then from that point, um, I progressed to being the community liaison for the agency and, and um, like a development person at the agency. And that's how I really started with the legislators because I would, you know, um, make, you know, a, a, a meet with them and, talk about the agency and the services, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it kind of put me in a different position. I started getting very comfortable with that. And um, hence many trips to Albany um, uh, and, and, and locally. I mean, we, at the time, uh, Elizabeth Conley was our assemblywoman and uh, she 
was a beacon of light uh, for the developmentally disabled. She was such a, a supporter, such an advocate, and and um, helped so many of us. I, I I certainly consider her a mentor, and um, we were very fortunate to have her at the time in Albany advocating for the services. And so, you know, we would go and and um, as groups and and meet with the different legislators and talk about the needs and the services and try to get funding, et cetera, to not only sustain programs, but more importantly, to expand programs because more and more individuals were being uh, diagnosed. And it was very important um, that there were services out there that would accommodate the needs of the individuals. And the reason I would go to community boards at that time was uh, because there was tremendous resistance to uh, community residences coming into neighborhoods. And uh, honestly, the very first one I went to, I won't say which community board meeting it was, but I went to a community board meeting um, and I listened to these horrific things being said about putting a community residence in this um, neighborhood. And when I went home the next day, I packed Janine up and I went out to my sister's house in Long Island and I stayed there for three weeks because I didn't want anything to do with Staten Island because I felt um, if they can't embrace my daughter and individuals like here like her i don't want to be here and obviously that changed and i i i did come back and thought now it's time to really um hit the pavement and and really get out there and let people know um again once again getting back to the ability part focusing on the ability and not the disability and that our children are entitled to everything that every other child is, is entitled to. And we need to ensure that they lead a quality of life. It's, it's very important. How has the autism advocacy movement developed and matured over the years? Do you see big differences between what you were doing, you know, in the 80s and 90s compared to what we're doing today? Um, I think today, because there's more awareness um, about autism and, and intellectual development and disabilities that uh, more people are involved with advocacy and the more we have, the better it is because um, as we all know, and I, I, I hate saying this because I say it so many times that people are probably sick of me saying it, but there's strength in numbers. And um, um, we need to continue with that. This past year, um, we have, through advocacy, really um, aligned with a statewide group, and that has been extraordinarily uh, beneficial, and it, it enables us to focus on the, the, the priorities right now, but we're focusing and we're doing this as uh, one voice across the state from Montauk to Buffalo. And 
that has helped tremendously. I mean, we um, not that long ago, because of because of COVID, we've had uh, Zoom meetings, you know, and we had a virtual uh, rally, and over a thousand people were on that, and that was followed by other um, town hall meetings, and and we had it. We did a uh, citywide, typically. Each borough does their own legislative breakfast, but because we couldn't all be together, as we know, um, we opted to do a citywide breakfast, and all five boroughs joined together with one message, and again, over close to a 1,000 people attended that as well. And so advocacy has become very, very, very important, and... um, it's something that we really must, must do. We really have to uh, impress upon um, younger parents who are just getting a diagnosis and going through those stages that we discussed before that the only way they're truly going to help their child is by advocating for the services to ensure that the services are there. Um, and that, that's very, very critical. What are the hot button issues of the day and in what way are they different or the same? Um, right now there's, there's quite a few hot button issues. One being, um, that comes to my mind cause it's close to, to me, to, to what I'm looking for. And that's, uh, residential opportunities. There are not many residential opportunities and there hasn't been, many residential opportunities um, in, in quite some time. And that is something we really need to uh, focus on. Uh, my daughter, as we said before, is 43 years old. She still lives at home. My husband and I are not getting any younger. And I want to be part of the process of what agency is gonna provide a residential opportunity for my daughter, uh, who she will be living with. I mean, these were the things that we, years ago, when uh, residences were being developed, that, that is how it worked, where a family member, a parent, family member would go to an agency and, uh, you know, request if, that they would like their child to to be in a residence with that agency. And, you know, their development was quite uh, good back then. Um, I opted, unfortunately, um, I can't say regret it, but I opted to turn down quite a few opportunities way back when because, A, I wasn't ready, and I don't think a parent is ever ready, but um, uh, then reality has to take charge. But I wasn't ready, and I felt maybe there was another individual out there who needed it more than Janine, so let me wait. And that waiting has now put us in a position where there aren't, um, there are very few residential opportunities. So that's one hot button issue. Um, the workforce uh, is another hot button issue. Staffing for agencies is 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 not doing very well right now um uh the the cast tool that 
OPWDD, OPWDD is going to be using for rate setting is something that we really need to be mindful of. And all of these things are, um, uh, are topics that families may not be aware of that we really need to have them understand how this can impact their child's life. And um, it, 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 it's really very, very important. What is different, that, and part of your question um, is that uh, we used to have an ally and, and with OPWDD, and we were a partner with OPWDD, but unfortunately, um, uh, for quite a number of years now, that, that, that has not happened. Um, there is a, a significant disconnect and a lack of transparency. And, it, you know, it's really vital that it's really important that we restore uh, what has been lost in services and, and move forward with um, one goal in mind. And that, that is to focus to ensure that the quality of life for our individuals with autism and intellectual disability, developmental disability is at the forefront of any plans or decisions that are being made in the state and that those decisions should be need-driven and not cost-driven. And that's, that's something that we are seeing more and more of, and that's very, very disconcerting. Now that Janine is an adult and you've reflected upon all of these amazing experiences and, and what her future, you know, what you wish her future to look like, what would you tell the new moms that are starting out on this journey with their children? How, how can they get involved in advocacy? How should they advocate for the future? What are some words of advice from a guru like yourself? Um, I'm not a guru, but <laughs> I'm just a mom who, who had experiences. I, I, I would just emphasize getting involved. Um, there are many, many ways of getting involved. And, and we have the Staten Island Developmental Disabilities Council, uh, which is a great informative and educational uh, group of, of um, family members, parents, uh, self-advocates, providers. And we meet monthly and, and it's an opportunity to learn, to, to get information, to be um, your child's voice if need be, or if your child is, has the ability to be their self-advocate, to be part of it as well. Um, and and that, that to me is, is very, very important is getting involved. Um, um, it's, it's critical. It's critical. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the beginning stages and when you started to speak about early intervention, I thought about what that was like for me and how isolating that experience was. You were in it and you had the therapists, but you were alone. There was no connection to find support or resources. You know, and I really admire you going out and asking for that support and resources. And I think that that's so important that 
parents and family members and caregivers know that they're not alone in this and that they can make a difference? They, they absolutely can make a difference um, because in most cases, um, families, parents and family members are listened to more than a, a provider agency because that could look a bit like it's self-fulfilling. Um, but uh, uh, your parent, the parents know the need, know what your child needs, know what is important and what's going to um, give your child the independence that would is so important. And, you know, I remember, I, I don't even remember how I heard about the council, but I remember going to the first meeting and feeling, um, uh, I don't know, what did I get myself into? I don't know any of this stuff. I don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, going to the meetings monthly and then getting involved, getting on a committee, um, being part of the conversation. And it, it just grew from there. And that's what parents, family members, self-advocates need to do as well is to the resources are there now and take advantage of them um, because it's, it's, it's beneficial all around. It's, it's very, very important. You know, um, recently, I think it was last month that there was an, uh, the annual Willowbrook lecture and um, it, uh, the participants were parents uh, as, as well as two of the doctors uh, and, and it was the parents whose children lived at Willowbrook and they shared the, the horrific stories of what went on there um, and how um, they became parent activists. And through their activism and being involved, they led, that led to the, the closure of Willowbrook. And that's huge. That's how powerful parents are. That's how powerful um, your, your involvement can be. And these, these brave parents continue today to advocate. And they're, you know, many of them are up in age, but they're still advocating. And, you know, um, what they accomplished was monumental. And, and I think we and, and those that are behind us who are coming up and getting diagnosis, that's what we all must aspire to follow in their footsteps and, and learn from them. Some of, we learned from them, but we have to continue to learn from what they've done. And, and um, you know, with one common vision, again, we're stronger together with one voice and, and just to realize that we don't ever want to go back to a Willowbrook. We have to remember the past to protect our future. And, and that's key because we need to protect what we have and we need to um, move forward to ensure that what we have remains and then make it better. I couldn't have said it better myself. I agree a hundred percent. Donna, it's been such a pleasure having you today. Thank you so much 
for coming and joining me on this topic. Thank you so much for everyone who's listening and tune in next time for another great conversation on Disability Inc.